Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. I'm Hal Bryan. I'm one of your hosts. I'm senior editor for print and digital content and publications here at EAA. With me on my left, sitting in for her second time as guest host, Sarah Nissler, a.k.a. Sarah Jessica Nissler, for Mm -hmm. reasons (laughs) that shan't be discussed, apparently, over there across the table. Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. And our guest today is uh, an air show performer and uh, has a, what I think is a pretty fascinating flying background in a, in a world of aviation we don't always talk that much about, and we'd like to change that. Uh, this is Eric Farewell. He's uh, one of the founders of the Paradigm Aerobatic Team and of Aviator Paramotor, a, a, a paragliding paramotoring, or excuse me, powered paragliding and paramotoring uh, flying school. Eric, welcome to the Green Dot. Truly a pleasure to be here, guys. I feel like I'm coming home. Excellent. Um, so let's uh, let's dive right in. Give us a little bit of a background on on Paradigm. I know uh, a lot of people listening will have seen you perform at uh, at AirVenture. Both, uh, uh, I think in in the daytime. Did you do a daytime show, or was it just the twilight stuff that you did for us? Just the, the evening year? shows just there. Evening yeah, okay. just the evening shows there. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, about the team. Well, uh, man, actually, Paradigm came about because of EA and Oshkosh. I, I well, you're welcome. First... And uh, that's all the time <laughs> <Exactly>. we have. <laughs> it's oh, all that's... your fault. It's all your fault. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite gratifying. You know, please, uh, please continue. Well, a lot of people know. I mean, EA has an incredible assortment of people there. And uh, not only is it a place that we go to for the airplanes, but we stay for the people. And my first uh, Oshkosh, I've actually been to 20 some odd, I think it's 23 Sun and Funds now. Um, I grew up here in Florida, but I went to my very first air venture uh, six years ago, I guess now. And I was blown away. I, I've always wanted to go. I, I you know, read every article written. Uh, it was possible to find as a kid, grew up in an aviation family and never had the opportunity to, uh, to make it up there. And when I got there, I just started flying paramotors about, uh, gosh, about a year before. And I fell in love with this idea of sharing what paramotors could do on your stage because the AirVenture stage is it's really like no other. I mean, you can go to a to pretty much any other air show and not have the same feeling you get from AirVenture, both the people and the airplanes and and just being so close and feeling like you're such a part of the show. And you know, we these little butt fans don't fly that fast. <laughs> you know, so I wanted to be able to do something with it uh, on, a, on a place that people could actually see us. And AirVenture was the spot. So four years of uh, of talking about it, working out the details of what we could do, and then Dennis Dunbar uh, went to bat for us, and he really uh, allowed the this this idea of ultralight aerobatics to take place with the help of the FAA there, your your local FISDO in Milwaukee, just gracious people, and they trusted us enough to pull it off, and. Uh, you know, we got to do a three-ring circus of paramotor flying in the air over the uh, world's largest air show. It was an incredible experience, and uh, it, it all came to be because I sat there at Oshkosh my first year and said, holy crap, this is an amazing spot. Well, and you were certainly uh, well-received here, and that's quite a thing uh, to have made your debut at, at, uh, at AirVenture. It's not, it's not often that, uh, that an air show act's first truly big performance is, uh, is here in Oshkosh. Well, and quite frankly, too, we, we were <laughs> we were truly honored by that. You know, it's something that most airship performers, you go to, to ICAST, which is our annual event, and you're going to see every single performer there is begging for Dennis's time, trying to get him to pay attention to what they're bringing to the stage. 
stage. And, you know, to go into our first ICAST, having the only air show we performed at was AirVenture. People couldn't believe it, first off. And uh, and we, we definitely know how lucky we have it. And that also explains why our buddy Dennis Dunbar is so sort of arrogant and full of himself when he's walking around the halls here. It's like, you know, <laughs> most people beg for my time. So, we love Dennis. He's been on the show before. But. Uh, I don't think there's a bone in his body that's arrogant. That's <laughs> no, true. Um, so why did you get into paramotoring? Oh, man. Uh, so I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but uh, flying airplanes is a little expensive. We do our best <laughs> to fix that here at EAA, but, uh, yeah, we, we certainly have heard that. But even then, even then, the hangar rent and the maintenance and everything else, it gets expensive. And uh, so I, I was actually, I've been flying my whole life. I grew up in an aviation family. Like I said, I was born 100 yards from a runway. And we found out we were pregnant with our first child and kind of uh, surprised us. And the direction of life suddenly shifts, you know, <laughs> the priorities change. Uh, it was no longer important. I was flying pretty much every day. I'd hop in the uh, Family 140 and, and fly to a local airport and sit there on my laptop and work for a few hours and then fly home. And it was a great office, you know, go air to airport to airport, have a lunch somewhere and work somewhere that's not inside your house. And uh, at, when we found out we were pregnant, that, that like I said, the perspective shifted, that uh, the goal shifted. And, and the several hundred dollars a day I was spending uh, quickly made it not worthwhile. So I uh, discovered paramotors. I'd, I'd always seen them at uh, Sun and Fun. And honestly, I thought they always looked kind of dumb. <laughs> you know, the, the idea of an of a, you know, aircraft that you could put in the back of your car was cool in theory, but everyone flying them made them look kind of scary. Um, so I was not that excited. And uh, eventually, as the, as the interest shifted toward lighter craft again and ultralights in general, I saw paramotors for the first time in a new light because they really had come so far. They weren't just these guys in weird colored clothing, you know, buzzing around at 10 miles an hour. They were actually, you could do things with them and it was actually kind of exciting. So fast forward, uh, I got trained and was terrible and had to keep trying to be really good. And so after a couple of years of flying every day, I can actually fly the darn things. That was a long monologue. I'm sorry. <laughs> no apologies. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. Um, could, so for, for those of our listeners who are maybe a little bit less familiar with this, can you walk us through exactly what paramotoring or powered paragliding is? And also, you know, there's a term that, that we've also heard a lot, powered parachute. Uh, could you um, describe a little bit what the difference is? Yeah, absolutely. So a, a powered parachute is the most common thing that people think that we are. They, they associate, you know, wing and fabric with a motor underneath that must be a powered parachute. But a powered parachute is kind of antiquated technology. It's, they're using a ram air parachute, uh, very similar to what you jump out of an airplane with. Uh, and they use a big motor to propel this through the air. A uh, powered paraglider is kind of, while it does look similar, it's a very different mission. Uh, we don't usually have wheels, although there are a lot of guys who fly with trikes or carts. Um, it's a very lightweight unit. Our motors are 45 pounds of electric start. And then uh, versus having a three and a half to one glide ratio with a powered parachute, we have almost a nine to one glide ratio. And, if, uh, you know, some of our gliders are fully aerobatic. So there's a whole big shift in what uh, in what people think they're going to see when they see these powered parachutes or assume our powered parachutes walk out on the field. Uh, we're able to show them a whole different kind of show. And just for anybody who might not uh... Uh, know the term when we talk about a glide ratio when you say nine to one basically what you're saying is that uh, unpowered if you descend you can go nine feet forward for every one foot you descend something like that that's right i like to tell and, people if you're at a thousand feet you can go nine thousand feet forward and that helps you sure. it's like almost two miles forward you know that is pretty remarkable and you said powered parachutes are closer to three to one yep right around three to one wow that's uh, that's a, a pretty big jump um 
Can you tell us a little bit more just about the equipment? Uh, you know, what are the components that make up a powered paraglider and uh, that sort of thing? Well, that's kind of the neat thing with a powered paraglider is we use a motor unit on our back. Most of them are between 50 and 70 pounds. Some of them are a little bit lighter, like the ones we personally fly with. Um, they put up about 28 horsepower, um, up to about 35 horsepower. And then the paraglider itself is it's actually comprised of about 4,000 parts all sewn together. Um, and it's a you know nylon nylon chute held, held, and you're held up by Kevlar lines. It can support about 800 pounds a piece. Wow. Each line can support 800 pounds? It can, yeah, and it's actually really necessary. Some of our acro gliders uh, can support more than that, and significantly so because they're actually pulling up to eight Gs. And even though it's a momentary eight Gs, it's a lot of stress. Absolutely, that's incredible. Could you go through a little bit of the um, how, how these uh, uh, powered paragliders are controlled? Uh, I I understand it's uh, is it basically thrust and then your risers? Is that pretty much all you have? Uh, well, actually, there's more to it than that. A okay. lot of people assume that a power paraglider or a paraglider in general is not going to be that maneuverable. But what's really neat is, whereas an airplane has, you know, ailerons, rudder, elevator, uh, power, right? With a power paraglider, the entire wing is movable. So we actually are able to warp the wing, much like the Wright brothers did, and have incredible amounts of control. So you'll see the pilots in our shows rolling their hips, kind of throwing one leg over the other to initiate a turn. That rolls the wing. And then as they're manipulating the, their hand controls, they can slow down one side of the wing or speed up the other side. There's, a, there's a, a, almost an infinite amount of control that the glider can actually offer you. So do you have, uh, when you're talking about rolling the hips and rolling legs and things, do you have lines coming to your hips or your waist or how does how does that actually what's the actual mechanism like there well actually i'll, I'll take a step back from it um when you take off in a paramotor the first thing you do is you literally run forward the glider fills with air and as it, the glider comes overhead you apply some power you start running and you literally run into the sky now at that point you're hanging from leg straps and you know kind of like a parachute harness but then you just lift your knees and you go into this big comfy seat it's like a easy chair in the sky and that seat itself is what's connected to the glider. So we actually have these movable arms that if we shift our weight from one side of the chair to the other side, it actually changes the dimension of the glider uh, pretty radically. And uh, so it, while you're not you know, moving different leg straps and that kind of thing to control the glider, your body's weight itself is able to, to move the, uh, the glider around pretty well. And then do you have like a hand throttle or something like that? How do you control thrust? Uh, generally, yes, we have a hand throttle. Uh, most of us put it in our, in our non-dominant hand, so you can have that dominant hand free for the important things in flying, like uh, selfies, you know. Yeah, <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> so say I wanted to learn how to do this. What are the general steps? Sarah, well, uh, I'd like that to be more convincing, know. Sarah. So I'd like hit that again, but like, I really want to learn to do this. <laughs> when does. have I ever been that excited about anything? Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, she does want to learn. She keeps telling me. I do. Me I really flying. do. I'm just scared. So, okay, say I really want to learn how to do this. Much better. I do. How do I do it? <laughs> Well, it's it's actually pretty simple. Uh, whether you're an existing pilot or not, it does take a whole different uh, level of skill. In fact, when we have students come in and they have prior flying experience, we all kind of groan inside because it's much easier to teach if they don't have prior flying experience um, because it is so radically different. But it takes about two weeks. Uh, you start off, our, our school has kind of become uh, pretty well known by the quality of training we offer. And uh, the basics of what we do is we break the whole system of flying into multiple parts. So we have a ground school that's between 20 and 30 hours long where we go through all the rules, regulation, airspace, weather, uh, motor maintenance, all the things you need to know as a pilot. And then we, additional to that, have uh, a lot of hands-on training with how to control the glider. Because believe it or not, the hardest thing we do in this sport 
It's not landing. Landing's really easy. It's taking off. It's the opposite of what it is in an airplane, right? An airplane, you slam the throttle and you're, you're gone. Uh, and this, it is a lot of balance. You have to balance the glider perfectly overhead, your thrust line, your body, your posture. And it's a lot more physically demanding than people expect it to be. So uh, we basically take everything into those three parts where they learn the glider, they learn the motor, they learn the ground school. Then we tow them up. We have a, a tow machine that actually allows us to pull them up without mm -hmm. the without the motor. So they can control the glider at 5, 10, 25, 30 feet, you know, as they're getting smoother and smoother. And eventually they tie it all together. So Sarah, for instance, will come out and uh, her first three or four days will just be in the in the classroom and on the field working with the glider and then by the end of day four most likely she'll have been towed and she'll be ready to fly yes you sarah you have to do it <laughs> uh, so this is in florida the school but there's also some people on your team that does this in wisconsin right yeah so we actually uh our school's Kind of a victim of its own success we've been really blessed to to share this flying thing that we love so much with people uh, that we're booked out pretty pretty ridiculously so last year my business partner travis and i uh, created a new program where we basically take other schools existing schools or we help build new schools and they use our syllabus our teaching systems our equipment all that stuff so uh, we have now eight schools across the us and one in costa rica and we're trying to grow that we're hoping to uh, to see more alliance schools, we call them, uh, teaching people how to fly safely and, and sharing flight in a whole new way. You know, what's one of the things I tell people is kind of crazy. If you, we've all heard about the pilot shortage, the pilot shortage, the pilot shortage. But the reality is, right now we're training to 400 to 500 people per year through our schools, and there's a wait list that's insane. Uh, people want to learn to fly; they just don't necessarily want to do it using airplanes anymore. So you said four to 500 people per year. Per year, do you have any idea how many? Uh... Uh, paramotor pilots there are right now in the world or at least in the US? Uh, in the US it's a it's a very much a growing sport that used to be uh, you know the number everyone shared around when I was learning to fly was there was around 3,000 active pilots um, and now six years later uh, we you know we assume that would be much higher than that it's uh, definitely grown a lot I, we don't have an exact number because it's not a uh, FAA regulated flying activity uh, we operate under FAR 103 but uh, yeah, I would I would guess there's probably between five and six thousand that are actively flying in the U.S. now. Yeah, I, I've definitely even in just like the last couple of months, I've noticed uh, that there's really just been an explosion of parad paraglider uh, uh, activity, which is really great to see. Um, there's been actually a couple of in interesting things that I've come across in uh, in the government department. Um, you know, I, I do uh, government advocacy for EAA, and um, you know, given that. Uh, Powered paragliding is part 103, which for those of you who don't know, that's um, the basically the ultralight rules. It says that if you're uh, under a certain weight and a few other, meet a few other definitions, uh, that you don't need any kind of license whatsoever for the aircraft or the pilot. And one of the things that we've uh, started to come across is, is how that interacts with local airports. Uh, I don't know if you've come across that at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting challenge that we have to work through because um, I think it's it's – in some every case is a little bit different, but I think there, there's there's at least um, a, a little bit of mutual um, uh, understanding that needs to happen with with both the the uh, the powered paraglider pilot and also the uh, you know recognizing how the the airport operates and then also the airport recognizing that uh, you know powered paragliding is absolutely just as much of a part of uh, of of GA as as anything else is. Yeah, and it really is up to the airport a lot of the time because one thing that people don't realize is that the, the numbers that we get, our launches and landings, 
they affect airports funding just like an airplanes does. So, you know, this month we, we had over 600 operations here at Lake Wales Airport, which is a very small airport. We actually have the majority of the operations here uh, and they're ultralight operations. They still get funding from those. So if it's a publicly funded airport, you could have, you know, a lot of these guys are the old guard. Uh, airports are for airplanes. Rah, rah, rah. And mind you, we have two airplanes. I, I love airplanes. They're amazing. I've got a 1946 Piper Cub and my partner and I have a 59172. Um, but you know, airports are for business. Airports are for building business and bringing people into your area. And that's an amazing tool that we have with paramotor flying is that we're getting people that come from all over the world to train here. And then they're going back home and flying it there at local airports. And I'm here to tell you, it can all operate really safely together. And uh, as long as everyone's gracious and courteous, then life is pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's a... Uh... Uh, there, there's a long precedent of uh, airports supporting, uh, you know, um, glider. I guess uh, I don't know how you would differentiate that uh, uh, from from paragliding, but uh, you know, uh, uh, right. enclosed glider operations, uh, traditional glider operations, and also uh, and also parachute operations. So uh, there's no reason why, uh, why why powered paragliding can't integrate just as just as easily. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's definitely a question. Part of the challenge that I, I see some of these airports have is that a lot of guys that are coming out there to fly, they aren't getting proper training. And that's what you know Travis and I have worked so hard to try to get more and more people trained up properly so that they can hopefully learn how to uh, to interact with traffic safely and make sure that there's there's good operations out there. So what, what do you find most challenging about uh, flying paramotors? And I'll ask one little uh, follow up. Because I, I assume that that's probably different for everybody. Um, what do you think a? Uh, I, I assume you have some some, uh, some some understanding of this because you did it yourself. What would a uh, a, a um, traditional powered aircraft pilot find most challenging about the transition? Honestly, the the hardest thing about coming from GA into paramotoring is realizing that all other flying is ruined for you forever. <laughs> and it, it sounds ridiculous. I know I sound ridiculous, but I absolutely mean it from the bottom of my heart. When you start flying a paraglider and you start realizing that, that you're experiencing flight in the most wholesome and fulfilling way possible. I mean, you literally, you take off, you run into the sky. You, it's like, it's what you've dreamed about as a kid. You know, it's not strapping in and, and you know, turning your airplane on and flying some, flying away. It's, it's, it's truly the most fulfilling form of flight you can ever imagine. Um, that, that's I know it sounds crazy, but to me, that's probably the hardest thing is just realizing that you're never going to be able to comfortably just go out and, and fly your airplane and have as big of a smile as you have when you fly your paramotor. That's uh, that should be blasphemy, but, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I I can grasp it. I, I can imagine I've never done that kind of flying, but uh, and we'll see. Maybe one... we need to do it together. Well, there we go. That would be uh, <laughs> like that would be nothing but a blast or. You know, Sarah, you can get all checked out, and then we can find a tandem rig, and you can drag me around. <laughs> it's only be fair. I would, pay to watch. I would pay to watch that. Yes, please. please. Oh, that too. sounds like very lovely. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, I've flown you places in, you know, in these bulky, heavy contraptions I used to love called airplanes. So. <laughs> now, don't um, get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. You'll still love airplanes, and right. I still love flying airplanes. I flew my Cub to Sun and Fun on Friday, and I flew it back, and I had a great flight over. Took a guy with me, big the drones, and had one small airplane flight ever before, and he, his grin was ear to ear. I had him fly us almost all the way home, and oh, that will never change. That does that that love doesn't go away it's just that the reality is you're flying along at 5,000 feet looking down at the ground going oh my gosh look there's a ravine there I could fly through that ravine then I can climb <laughs> over those power lines drop into that field I can go explore that field and oh my gosh it's the ultimate ATV it's it's a whole different game 
Uh, that is very, very cool. Um, so I had a quick question. You, when you talk about um, sort of airport operations and, and you talk about rules and things, um, something I've always wondered about, and, and I think I saw a YouTube video not too long ago of somebody who like took his paramotor and landed in a field next to McDonald's and had, you know, had lunch <laughs> and then flew back. What's uh, what are the legalities in terms of operating this under Part 103 and and, you know, landing off airport or or interacting with it with airports, uh, uh, you, you know, in general? Well, uh, first off, the gentleman you're talking about, his name is Tucker Gott. He's actually, uh, his story is remarkable. Um, he's one of the members of our, of our paradigm team. He comes to all the air shows with Excellent. us. And uh, he and I actually met at that very first Oshkosh that I was so excited about. I thought you were uh, going to say at that McDonald's, because that would have no. been a crazy story right there. You're just sitting no, there at McDonald's and- having dinner, and here comes this guy, lands in the field, or in the parking lot, no. or whatever it was. I got to teach him how to fly, and you know, fast forward five years later, he's a full-time paramotor pilot. He actually uh, flies all over the country. He drives a van around the country with his, with his girlfriend, and they uh, they get to go and explore these crazy places. And he has a great YouTube channel, so check out the rest of his videos. They're really remarkable stuff. But uh, to answer your question, uh, the unique thing with ultralights is that we have a lot of of rights to utilize any non-controlled airport, um, and then with permission, obviously, we can utilize a controlled airport. So. Uh, I personally, you know, we'll fly out of a non-controlled airport every day, um, and we operate under, uh, you know, the basic FARs as far as, uh, you know, how, what kind of traffic pattern we utilize, et cetera. Most of the time, we actually will follow a, uh, a little more similar to a helicopter pattern. Just for safety's sake, we find that operating in opposite direction at low altitude, half the altitude of the pattern works for us. But, um, you know, it's... It's very low impact because we use such a small amount of space. You know, we are, all of our schooling is done on the uh, in between the runway and the taxiway. Uh, at our primary runway here at our airport, we train hundreds of pilots here and have uh, very few issues. Do you ever carry a radio of any kind, or is there a, a means to do that, like up to a helmet or something? Yeah, you can. Uh, some of our pilots choose to if they're operating in areas with lots of traffic, with really dense traffic. Um, Personally, I, I, I go up there and it's kind of like the Cub. I, I hate using the radio in the Cub, too. I, I like listening to music when I fly. <laughs> but uh, in areas of dense traffic, yeah, radio is great. An easy and impossible question. You've touched on this already a, a, a bit, Eric, here and there. But if, uh, if I forced you to tell me your single sort of favorite thing about this kind of flying, what do you think it would be? Hmm. Honestly, I think it's sharing it. I think that the the neatest thing for us is the opportunity that we get to to watch people's eyes open. Uh, there was a moment uh, I get to do the announcing for these shows, which is kind of a love hate for me. I, I enjoy announcing. I, I really enjoy being up there with the guys, and it's fun. But I'd much prefer to be flying in the shows. Uh, so the, the shows that we have announcers that have worked with us before, I get to fly in. That's always wonderful. Um, but our very first performance ever, we're at at Oshkosh. We're standing there. Uh, the guys are laid out. They're getting ready to take off. The air boss gave us the, the space. Said, okay, guys, get your guys up. Go. And I, I literally stand there. I take the microphone from Rob Ryder, and I, I ask the crowd to stand and to turn their attention to Ryder Show Center. And I watched a half a million people stand and watch as these young men spoke to the skies. And then the collective 
<gasps> when he does the infinite tumble <laughs> and he starts flipping backwards over and over and over again. Uh, just hearing people get so excited. And then it all comes full circle as the guys are walking through the crowd uh, after we land. We're the only act that gets to, aside from skydivers, that gets to take off and land right next to the crowd. Um, you know, we, we literally land and sometimes you can actually reach out and high five them as they're landing. Um, it's pretty remarkable. And uh, seeing kids' eyes light up, man, it's uh, it's something special. That's fantastic. I just I can't even imagine what that sensation would be like, uh, as you said, uh, your first performance and having it here and uh, and getting the crowd involved like that. That is incredible. So, you know, when I go down to Florida to learn how to do this, what's the investment going to be for and, me? And, and, and we want to <laughs> know the real no. cost, not the uh, not the no. Jessica's, you know, sort of sister-in-law discount. <laughs> program <laughs> she gets charged extra come on now <laughs> Excellent. that's smart okay well generally the investment for someone to get started in the sport is about like buying a motorcycle uh, you're going to spend between 12 and 15 thousand dollars to get ready so that's buying all new equipment paying for your training and everything um, all of our schools offer free rental of the equipment so when you go to training uh, you don't buy anything you actually come through use our gears so that way you can make a, a smaller investment decision versus spending 15 grand up, up front um, so we usually recommend people not to buy anything and make that uh, that experience-based decision on what they want to invest in versus a marketing-based decision so training is 2500 to 3500 dollars um, takes two weeks like I say at least at least eight days um, but two weeks is ideal in case you have some weather days and uh, it is uh, it's a really special thing man it's it's neat, you know. <laughs> I almost answered your your previous question with this answer as well, and that that's that's uh, one of my favorite things with sharing this is watching these guys land with tears in their eyes. These big burly dudes who you know got to f experience flight like this for the first time. It's a it's a really a, an eye opening experience. Cool. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. I'd uh, something that's definitely on my list at some point. Hopefully, we'll see. So now apparently, <laughs> all three of us are going mm -hmm. to Florida. So. Tell the boss. <laughs> have the green dot. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I know. Honestly, in, in all seriousness, I think every pilot owes it to themselves to uh, to experience aviation in every possible way they can. You know, someday I definitely like to get my uh, my my uh, glider rating, my seaplane rating, all that kind of stuff. I've Absolutely. just just recently been on skis, so that's uh, something we could do up here, well, not necessarily in Florida. <laughs> that's something I'd like to do. I, I, I've never flown on skis; it's on the list. Um, but actually, it, it brings me to a quick point about Paradigm and something that I talked to Sarah about at Sun and Fun, and that's that one of the reasons we do this show, and this show, we're the only unsponsored air show act in the business that I know of. Like we're, Everyone else that's in this business, they have tons of sponsors. They, you know, they probably don't get rich doing it. There's only a few of those guys, but they certainly do okay, and we actually pay for everything out of pocket. We, we have Nobody has come up uh, forward yet with capital to help us, and uh, yet Travis and I truly still believe that it's something worth doing simply because – if we can help inspire someone to go out there and face their fears and actually fly, uh, you guys know this, you fly, you, you see that light change behind their eyes. You see how flying changes them as people, right? It's, it just makes, I don't know. I, I hate to say that, you know, flying makes you a better person because it sounds like a haughty thing to say, but I truly believe it. And, uh, we want to share that. And if we can inspire somebody to get out there and fly, whether it's the first time they've flown or they've been flying heavy iron for, for years, you know, and they're finally getting back to their roots, then that's uh, that's a huge win for us. Uh, definitely. No, flying changes your life. There's no question. Um, so 
we've talked a little bit about your uh, your air venture routine. Can you dig into that a little bit and uh, and, and talk about the specific routine, uh, how you came up with the uh, with you know kind of what the uh, with the maneuver list and uh, how long does it take to uh, to practice and perfect every season? Yeah, absolutely. So our first season, um, we kind of came at it with a rough idea. I wanted to have synchronized aerobatics. Uh, what I mean by that is have two pilots doing the exact same thing at the exact same time for every maneuver we did. Um, and honestly, the biggest reason we wanted to do that was we didn't want to have anyone at AirVenture have a heart attack. Um, <laughs> because the first time you see you know, a paraglider flip upside down, it's a little unsettling. And it's probably a little more reassuring to know that uh, – Two people uh, are doing it at the same time, so it's probably on purpose, not an accident. So, <laughs> That's an interesting uh, point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it doubled the size of our team, but it was well worth it. And uh, the, the basic concept was synchronized aerobatics, and we wanted it to look like a three-ring circus. We wanted to have your eyes always being drawn to something different, and uh, there never be any delay. Because unlike Michael Goulian, we can't do aerobatics while we climb. We can only do aerobatics while we descend. So we have two guys on the outside always climbing, two guys down low going through pylons, showing off the air racing side of the sport, and then two guys up high doing aerobatics. So it's a constant... Uh, shift of your eyes where you should look and it's my job as the announcer basically to guide the crowd and tell them okay look at this guy now I promise he's going to do the coolest thing next <laughs> let's go a little bit deeper um, you know you're talking about the first time you see a paraglider go you know sort of upside down and get the pilot above the wing which seems like the worst possible place for them to be what are some of the, the maneuvers you can do I mean you can you can do you can do basically what we would think of as a loop and right. you know what else? Uh, what else do you have in your uh, bag of tricks? So we talked a lot about earlier about the different controls we have of the glider, how we can actually warp the whole wing. Um, we start off the show basically taking off and starting to climb out. Uh, the first maneuvers are generally going to be barrel rolls um, or a synchronized spiral, where they're basically in a death spiral, wingtip to wingtip, going toward the ground together. Um, the barrel rolls is just simply what it sounds like. You know, they roll the glider one way, snap roll it the other way, and it just looks like a series of snap rolls. And uh, it's actually can build a lot of energy that way. You're pulling between four and five Gs at the bottom generally. Um, and then we kind of turn it up a little notch for the next maneuver, and that's the sat. The sat, they actually stop the wing on one side and spin it, so it starts flying backwards, spinning backwards at about uh, 40 miles an hour um, and dropping to the ground. It looks like a corkscrew. It's pretty pretty wild to watch. And we kind of have our, our big moment, there at the last major maneuver before we set up for our formation passes, and that's the infinite tumble. Uh, there's only a handful of guys anywhere in the world that will do it on a motor, and that's where he literally stops the wing in midair, spins it backwards, and he's looping over the glider over and over and over again. That's just, that's absolutely incredible. And and having seen it, uh, I can say it's uh, it really is spectacular to see. It doesn't look like something that should be possible or <laughs> safe or okay on, under any circumstances. Yeah, I, I remember watching your routine for the first time and, and just being like, I had no idea that you could do that with a uh, with with a powered paraglider. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, obviously, when you guys are performing, you're at pretty low altitudes, so or or extremely low altitudes, so it wouldn't really do much good. But when when you're practicing, when you're learning these things, do you have uh, do you have any kind of a reserve parachute or anything like that in, in case uh, things do go, go wrong? Because it just seems like unloading that wing um, at, you know, at the wrong time could be potentially unrecoverable. 
Yeah, absolutely. So actually, what we do is uh, each pilot on our team flies the least one and many of them with two reserves. And it actually is quite recoverable up down to about 100 feet. Uh, the really? lowest saves that we know of are at 62 feet. Um, so it doesn't take long for the reserve parachute to, re to inflate and to, to stop it. We actually uh, we, we recorded a documentary of our, our first uh, experience going to Air Adventure. It's called The Road to Air Adventure. It's actually up on Amazon if you guys want to check it out. It's uh, We can put a link somewhere for you. But uh, it's a phenomenal a little video and there's a line in there in our first safety briefing where I said you know if you have to throw a reserve that's totally fine if you impact the ground or impact the crowd we're all screwed <laughs> and it's the truth you know we are in a position where throwing reserve is a, is a great safety option um, there's only only two members on our team have thrown reserves ever throughout their training um, because generally what we do is, is you know, we take things very slowly and very cautiously um, but reserves are, are inexpensive insurance Wow um, so how does flying during the day differ from flying twilight? Um, well, the biggest killer we have there are thermals. So obviously thermals is that hot air rising up and on the outside of it, you have the cold air going down. And so because we're flying a flexible wing, a lot of guys will fly midday. They fly through the thermals. I do as well, but I would choose to fly a safer wing, one that's less aerobatic, one that's less, uh, less crazy purposefully, you know, in an attempt to, uh, to keep it as safe as possible. So as we uh, start to wind the show down here, Eric, um, would you uh, like to introduce us to kind of to the rest of your team? Uh, who who flies in the uh, in the Paradigm uh, team? Yeah. Uh, so my, myself and my business partner, Travis, run the team. Travis is uh, a 23-year Coast Guard veteran. He flew fixed wing for them. And he came out of retirement to, to work with me here at Aviator. And together, we started the, the Paradigm team. And he kind of followed followed me along on this crazy adventure. He, he wasn't sure what to think of it at first. But uh, he is uh, his worm to the idea and loves doing the shows with us. He actually, his job is uh, to be on the ground calling the shots. He times everything for the pilots. He's on radio with them. Basically, you know, A-team, climb. Uh, B team, acro in 10 seconds, uh, Manu to acro in three, two, one. That way everything looks really, really clean from the ground because that's always our goal is to make sure that we give a really great show that not only looks good, but it's safely done and it's, it's done in a way that the crowd really falls in love with it. And then uh, A team is, uh, we actually we have a whole bunch of pilots to choose from, but generally it's Kyle Mooney. He's a 26 year old from Minnesota. He actually works here at Aviator with us. He uh, He's awesome. He's one of our instructors in mechanics and just loves flying. And he was so excited to join the team uh, this past year. And he's partnered up with Tucker, who we talked about earlier. Again, youtube.com slash Tucker got. You got to check it out. Um, and then we have the Martin brothers. The Martin brothers, they're, they're a family of 11 kids and five of them fly paramotors. And they actually, uh, they taught one of your EA staffers had to fly para paragliders uh, last summer, I believe it was. That's right. That was Megan uh, Megan Esau, who did a, did a nice feature on it uh, for the magazine. Yeah, yeah. Great article, for sure. And, and she seemed to really enjoy it. So they basically, three of their boys, and sometimes a fourth, will train with us, and they fly in our shows, depending on the show's needs. And then finally, we have another set of brothers, and that's the, the Malaguitas brothers. These guys come from Malaga, Spain, which is one of our, the reasons why our show costs so much for us to put on, is that we actually bring pilots in from Wisconsin, New Jersey, Minnesota, and Spain. These Spaniards are crazy. They're the ones that uh, flip upside down and fly like, uh, like nutballs, but they've been flying since they were eight and 11 years old and uh, they absolutely live to fly they're incredible to be with and uh, we, we couldn't have the, the same team without them for sure that's absolutely incredible since they were god just since they were little kids and, yeah <laughs> uh, and it's amazing your team you said uh, what uh, florida wisconsin new jersey and spain 
So that's yep. <laughs> actually okay. I have a, I have a quick question because you mentioned uh, the the Spanish connection there. Um, is power paragliding? Um, are there are there hot spots around the world for that? Uh, you know, in in Europe or in South America, places like that. Absolutely, everywhere else in the world, pretty much, it is blown up for years. The, the paramotors have been being used since the '80s, but the technology in the last decade or so has really come a long way. And the number I heard most recently was that the country of Poland alone uh, has thirty thousand paramotor pilots in it. Yeah, I think you know, I think we've we've seen a lot of EAA, uh, especially a lot of countries where where you know traditional GA flying is much more expensive than it is here in the U.S. Uh, have been kind of leading the way at innovating some of these more affordable ways to fly, and that that's just uh, that, that's interesting. Absolutely. Yep. It's it's really amazing how much further a lot of these countries are as far as, you know, they have different regulations and whatnot. And that's, you know, a lot of people love that we don't have any regulations in, in the U.S. for uh, ultralights. But I oftentimes play devil's advocate. And I say, well, if we had a little more regulations, like say we were like Czech Republic, where they have an annual inspection, they have 100 hour inspections where they're allowed to fly over cities and towns and settlements. They're allowed to fly in controlled airspace. They have a little more requirements for the pilots. But as such, they also get a lot more latitude with what things they're able to do. Um, so I think in the, over the next few years, I'm sure that the FAA will be looking into the growth of the sport. And we've had some great conversations with uh, Sue Gardner and, and some folks like that at the FAA. And we hope that if they do choose to, to you know, bring us into a, a little bigger pilot family with a little more regulation, we hope that they will do it right and uh, maybe let us help kind of guide what they do. <laughs> but uh yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we've, well, actually, we've been talking to the same folks over at FAA, and there, there might be some exciting changes to uh, not so much 103, but the uh, the experimental rules coming down the pike that uh, that might be great for uh, for the uh, powered paragliding community and a lot of other people who fly experimental aircraft. That'd be awesome. So, uh, a quick question, sort of thinking about regulations and, and that sort of thing. Um, and you know we've been talking about tandem flying just a little bit, and I, that is that is a real thing that's that can be done. Do you end up uh, when you when you fly a tandem rig? Does that end up uh, needing to be an n-numbered aircraft, just like uh, just like a two-seat ultralight? Uh, it depends. So there is a an exemption that's been uh, granted by the FAA to USUA, which is the United States Ultralight Association, as well as a few other uh, organizations, <laughs> and that exemption allows for foot launch tandem flying. So two people running like uh, they're wearing a horse costume. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's not pretty, but it's doable and it's legal. Uh, I, I actually hold one of those exemptions as well as the administrator rating to offer other people that, ex that exemption. But uh, you know, it is a little more challenging to. To do it on wheels or to use a cart, uh, it does require uh, an N number and a sport pilot license with a powered parachute endorsement. And actually, I'll, I'll put this out there for the world. Uh, this past year, Travis and I made the investment to buy this very, very expensive two-place N-numbered cart so that we could use it at places like AirVenture to give rides to media and let them fly in our stack with our team and you know really share the, this kind of flying with people. And we can't find any powered parachute CFIs to sign us off to fly it. <laughs> so it sits here. <laughs> and we're really disappointed because there's there's just not very many powered parachute CFIs. So it's something we've been trying for so long, trying to find someone to help us get this darn thing in the air. And uh, maybe someone listening to this podcast will know two powered parachute CFIs because it requires two. We have one who's willing to sign us off, but the other one has to do the check ride. So <laughs> it's a challenge. I'm sure we know somebody. Yeah, I'll we'll have to ask Tim Bogenhagen. I'm sure he yeah. knows. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we can find somebody out there. Because I like I'm it. getting I like that it. ride then. Yes. 
Yes, if you guys can make it happen for us, we will 100% let you have whatever ride you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sounds good to me. Although I'm much more interested in uh, Sarah in the horse costume. Um, and yes. Is, does she, yes. is she the front of the horse at the, or would she be uh, or the, the, the more appropriate end? <laughs> I, I hate to answer that. In fact, I refuse to. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's probably the smart thing to do there. Yeah, it was a wise move. I've been married for a very long time. <laughs> oh, man. Actually, uh, I will bring up one other thing, if I can ask your listeners, if you guys don't mind. Please do. Okay, so I mentioned it earlier. Uh, we are the only unsponsored act uh, at these air shows. We are very blessed. This last year, we were asked to perform at 27 different air shows, which would have put us in front of over 50 million impressions. Tons of people, right? But due to the cost of the show and not having a sponsor, we're only doing four air shows. Of course, one of them is Air Adventure, which is the best air show ever. Um, and we are desperately looking for a sponsor. So if anybody out there has a business that would like to have some ridiculous brand exposure with uh, young people who love aviation, we'd love to promote your business. So contact us, please. Nothing wrong with that. that. Absolutely. That was it. That was the whole pitch. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, uh, that was relatively harmless. So it's nice, <laughs> nicely done. All right. Like Sarah being in a horse costume, not harmless. <laughs> not harmless. Not not good for anybody. All right. <laughs> Sarah's doing some kind of interpretive <laughs> dance over here. I can't uh, wait to see her Ashka. She's going to show up in a horse costume, and we're all going to feel uh, like fools. Yes, we <laughs> certainly are. All right. Uh, one last uh, impossible question for you before we uh, wind things up here, Eric, and that is uh, – um, and I, maybe you, you've told us this, and maybe I, maybe I know the answer, but maybe not. It, can you, you look back over your flying uh, career, your, your paragliding, your powered paragliding career? Is there a single most memorable moment? And if it's Air Venture, that that's fantastic. But maybe maybe there's a second place then. Man, there's so many. Uh, I've been really blessed to be able to fly all over the world with these, um, both with uh, our, our aviator schools, we're helping build those and just going to visit factories and whatnot. And I think that one of our instructors, John, he he's an air adventure lover. He's You guys know Elton Isley? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we know Elton. This is Elton's son. He's one of our instructors. And he uh, oh, he's no just kidding. a phen phenomenal guy. And he has a saying. He says that the paradox of paramotoring is simply – that every flight is better than the last and that you land from a flight, you think to yourself, there's no way that this could be any better. And yet somehow the next flight is better. Um, I, I can tell you there have been many times flying both here at home and all over the world where I've landed with tears in my eyes and just giddy as can be because it, it just keeps getting better. <laughs> uh, to, to put one one quick spin on it, last weekend we were in Georgia, about 136 of our closest friends all flying paramotors. And uh, myself, Travis, and uh, one of our instructors, Kyle, and a few other friends were flying. And we went on about a 25-mile cross-country, which doesn't sound like much, but in a paramotor, that's, that's pretty far. Um, <laughs> and at one point, we climbed over a tree line, maybe five feet off the trees, and uh, only see a, just a sea of pine trees. But in between these pine trees, there's this winding road, and it's going up and down hills. So I put my paramotor in between the pine trees, these Christmas trees, and I'm flying literally between the trees up and down, down this road. And I'm actually editing a video for that today, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And then we get another few miles down the way and pop across this next uh, field, and all of a sudden there's a rock quarry, and we're flying inside this rock quarry. And it's, it's stuff that... <sighs> It's the difference between driving a car and riding a motorcycle. It's the difference between, you know, walking and running. It's just, it's, there's so much more experiential flying a paramotor. And every time we fly, it's something better. 
and I can't think of a of a better way to wrap this up uh, than to uh, to leave it at that. So, Eric, uh, we thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. And uh, truly, my pleasure. And we we thank you for your your support of and appearances at Air Venture. <clears throat> really excited to see you guys back here uh, back here this summer. Uh, big thanks also to uh, Sarah Jessica Nissler for uh, sitting in. Well. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Henry is away and for setting up uh, this, whole, uh, this whole interview for us. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor, GE Aviation. Big thanks go out to everyone uh, out there who's uh, taken the time to send us some feedback. Uh, you can email us, feedback at EA.org. Uh, people who leave reviews on iTunes or Google Play or the other sites, uh, that means the world to us. Uh, it's that, uh, I can tell you unequivocally, the positive response that we've gotten to the green dot so far in this uh, in this past year, basically, since we kicked it off, um, it's been the the feedback is the reason uh, that we've continued it. It started as an experiment, and now it's a thing. So, with that, uh, thanks to all of you for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you the next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot. <laughs>